Okay, welcome to episode 65. Look at that, 65. Never on a comics review podcast. My name's Tony. This week we have the return of the Arch Comics Deviant himself, host of the Comics Book Club podcast. Yes, it's Eamon Clark. How you doing, babes? I'm right? very well, Tony. Thank you. Yes, I'm back. <laughs> Good. Co-host status. Time. So we had, uh, yeah, yeah, you're back to being a regular co-host. You, I know you've had a bit of a busy time of it, haven't you? So, uh, Yeah, we've been busy. We've been vaccinating, as you know. Um, yeah. yeah, keeping busy. And a shout-out to uh, Gary Hill, uh, who's oh, yeah. not only a book clubber, he's also a Never Iron Man. He's a thoroughly good egg. He's been vaccinating in the Cambridge Centre all week. He says he told me he's doing like 10 oh, miles right. a day, going backwards and forwards on his feet. Um, oh, he messaged me the other day. I was chatting to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a hard-working dude, isn't he? He yeah, is good, good lad. He yeah. is Boston. He is. I understand that's a black country phrase. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> good. Now we've um, you've you've been kind to me again, and we've got a single issue to talk about today, haven't we? Uh, an unusual one that sort of appears in the middle of a slightly different run, I'm going to say. Did you want to tell us what it was? Yeah, so today we are doing a deep dive on The Saga of the Swamp Thing, issue 28, cover yeah. dated September 1984, would have bought, cost you 75 cents, or it says on my cover, 30 UK pence, uh, back when comics were 30p. Uh, it is a story called The Burial, and do you remember buying this one, Tony? I do. Yeah, I, I bought this run. Yeah, yeah, I bought this when it came out. Um, I've since got a digital copy, and I've also got the hardbacks that came out. I think you've got the same ones, haven't you? I've got the hardbacks that came out from DC a few years ago. I think there were six or seven of those, were there? I've only got the first three. Right. Yeah. And then I've also now got the two absolute editions that have come out, which we might oh, talk right. about a bit later as well. Yeah, I got this. I've got this story so many times, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the creative team on it were Alan Moore, obviously, penciled by Sean McManus, who also does the inks. Who's um, we'll talk about in a minute, a minute. But I'm guessing you're also familiar with his work through the Sandman stuff, is that right? Yeah, Sandman for the uh, Game of You storyline that he pencils and inks as well. Yeah. Cool. Uh, colors by Tatiana Wood, who is an extremely interesting character who we've been chatting about online yeah. this week. Letters by John Costanza, and editor is Karen Berger. Um, like you said, it, it was um, 30p for you, I think, when you, we bought it. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I remember yep. buying these. So exciting, these were. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah it really was. Um, currently, they're £1.59 on Comixology, and if you look on eBay, they're, you'll get a copy for about a tenner. Right. A good copy for about a tenner, I looked, I looked earlier. Um, so what's your experience of buying this, man? So you were buying the run, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, I think this was... Uh, we talked about this before. I think it was Warrior Comic... Um, so it's Marvel Man, Miracle Man, V for Vendetta, and of course it's his 2000 AD stuff, um, and also the Captain Britain run, which we've talked about briefly when he was doing, you know, the Captain Britain multiverse yes. and the Jasper's Warp and the Fury and all that. So Alan Moore, I was, I was quite obsessed with at the time, and then of course I heard he was yeah. doing an American comic. So I jumped on board from that weird little comic shop in the underpass that I used to go to in Leicester, oh, yeah. um, the one the one where they sold other things in brown paperbacks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but, yeah, I remember buying this, and these stories, when they were coming out, um, they were so great. I've, I read a blurb on one of the covers on one of the collections. Jonathan Ross said uh, something like, still the best comic 
ever published. Um, okay. Was what he said. So it is, you know, this is top stuff. Yeah, it really is. I think my experience was is I was actually buying the Marty Pasco stuff right um, originally, which was slightly different but not bad. I think it, get, it got a bit of a bad name for a while because more came in and sort of swept the table off a bit, really. But that had some really strange stuff about messiahs and basically Swampy was sort of walking the earth. And then it, I just sort of carried through. And like you, I was aware of more, you know, mostly from 2000 AD and Warrior and um, the Daredevils and stuff like that. Um, and I bought this. And then I remember the um, the first issue he did was issue 20, I'm guessing. I think that's right. That's it, right. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the one people forget. Issue 20 is called Loose Ends. And he yep. tied up the Marty Pasco storyline and uh, got ready for issue 21, which is the one everybody remembers. And the one that used to, they used to put start the trades with the anatomy lesson and forget about issue 20. But at least they've uh, corrected that recently. Uh-huh. Uh, good stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's not a bad issue. I quite, I quite like it. And then you know, I, I, what happened to me was I, I just kept buying it. And then a friend of mine at school who wasn't really a comic guy said, oh, you like comics. Go, You should meet my mate. And I met this kid who was sort of one of those sort of slightly more dangerous kids who was like a year older than me. You know, they're always a bit more dangerous mm. who didn't go to my school. So I went and met him, and he took me to his house, and he had, a, he had this sort of – I remember his dad was like really grumpy. And he took me to his wardrobe, and he said, look – I bought that, and he pointed down at the anatomy lesson, which he'd bought, I think, a couple of months later after it came out and had paid, like, 15 quid for it or something. And he said, I've got that, but don't tell my dad. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, this is a really weird experience. I thought, I um, didn't know where that story was going there, Tony. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. It's gone anywhere, that one. <laughs> he yeah, he yeah. took you to his cupboard and showed you a Swamp Thing comic. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all about comics. Yeah, nothing yeah. else. But the... Um, and I saw him years later. I saw him at a UCAC years later, and we were sort of laughing about it, about how he had to keep a secret that he'd bought an expensive package here or the Swamp Thing. Right. But 21 was a really hot book, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. It just suddenly exploded. Yeah. I mean, it's probably and, it's probably the, the most well-known issue of Swamp Thing ever, I should imagine, is the Anatomy Lesson, issue 21. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah let's give a little potted history of the Swamp Thing then before we get into it. So 50 years old this year, in July... Um, first appearance was in the house of secrets um, 92 which was an anthology horror book um which were worth digging out and you can find them it's in fact if you've got the hardbacks i think a few issues on after the one we're going to talk about it reprints this story doesn't it it does yes yeah yeah and um the, the lady who's brushing her hair which is homaged in this story i'm sure we'll get into it in a minute was based on wheezy simonson then wheezy jones louise jones um, who was, I think, married to Catherine Jeffrey Jones, or Jeffrey Jones, as uh, they were at the time. And I think she was the basis for the person on the cover of the comic. Which That's right, cool. yeah. Yeah. Um, the, created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, who um, I, I actually rate as much as Moore and Bissett and Tottleburn. I really do. I think, I think they really did some stuff. Different times, because they, they were doing it in the 70s when everything was a bit more yeah. psychedelic and LSD. And, you know, we believed that, you know, Jesus was an alien and all this sort of nonsense, <laughs> you know. It's a bit more sort of, they meet, you know, Batman and aliens and, you know, stuff like that. And I can imagine it's a book that Moore must have been aware of because it was a really a very well-respected book. Yes, it was. And, of course, Barry Wrightson, uh, you know, he's wonderful artwork, perfect artist for a horror book. And they did, yeah. I, I seem to remember, because I went back and got, I collected all the Bernie Wrightson and Len Wein ones, the original one. In fact, I've got, you know, I've got all the Martin Pascoe, the Marty Pascoe ones as well. Um, oh, cool. And they did, 
because it was the 70s, so they were allowed to do the gothic archetypes again. So there was vampire stories and a werewolf story, and there's the patchwork man, which was their sort of take on the Frankenstein monster and stuff like that. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah you, you're right. Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, what a what a pairing. Yeah, um, yeah. and he goes on to be. Uh, Len Wein goes on to be a great editor, of course, as well. Yeah, so, I mean, Len's kind of the editor who, who really looks after more, doesn't he? So we wouldn't have had Watchmen if it wasn't for Len Wein, and we certainly wouldn't have had this. Um, in the original run, I think also worthy of a note is uh, Nesta, Nesta Redondo, who did some of the yeah. issues after Wrightson, who was really good. I think, yeah. I think it's really good. And in that original run, we got Art, Art Anton Arcane, who is Abby's father and the kind of main protagonist, I suppose, um, antagonist, rather, um, for the run, he's his Lex Luthor kind of to me. Do you, do you think so? Or oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's uh, Swamp Thing's nemesis, and of course, the the three issues that follow this is, this issue twenty eight that we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, spoilers, but it, it does feature Anton Arcane, and it it was, I think, possibly. I don't know. It might be around about the same time that Marvel Man figured out that Gargunza, you know, Doctor Emil Gargunza, had come back. To haunt him, okay. but it became it became to me a sort of like a more thing that at some point the hero of the book would realise their nemesis was back, and yeah, Arcane Anton Arcane, great character, um, amazing character, yeah, even good in Swamp Thing two, the movie, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> the father of Heather Locklear, Heather Locklear, fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Um, now, funny enough, we joke about the, the movies, but it was the first movie that was the reason that the second series, the Saga Swamp Thing, came back. Um, Most sort of important sizes. comic book hit movie in the history of movies, is my opinion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it gave us this. Didn't it it gave us, yeah. gives you this, and it changes comics forever. Yeah. And there's, um, I can't remember which issue it is. Is it issue eight? I can't remember. I made a note of it, but one of them's got a photo cover, isn't it? Was that the first annual? Of of Saga or something has got oh, the photo might, cover, yeah. Yeah, it might well be, and it was, um, I'm trying to, is it Dick Durkin, is that the That's the guy, guy? yeah, Dick uh, Durock or something is, the guy in the suit. That's it, yeah. that's it, yeah. And he went on to do the two movies, and then he did, there was a, there was a series back then as well, a sort of short-lived series that he was in. That I've seen a bit of, I think they showed it on like the Sci-Fi channel or something many years right. ago. Um, I've never saw any of the TVs, the original TV series, but yeah, I've seen both the movies um, with Adrian Barbeau and then, as you say, Heather Locklear. Yeah, yeah. Adrian Barbeau. Just get in the water, take your top off. Yes. That's it, yeah. That's completely no reason for that scene whatsoever, but there you go. Um, uh, I haven't seen the second TV series. I have to say, I haven't seen that either. I keep meaning to watch it, but I haven't got around to it yet. So I watched. I watched. for this podcast, I watched the last two episodes because they sort of do a version of um, the anatomy lesson and then this story in a little oh, bit right. of it. Um, yeah, they they clearly take from those two issues for the last two episodes of the Amazon um, instant, whatever, Amazon video series that's up there at the moment you can watch. Oh, I didn't realise that. I'll give that a go because I think there's a couple of... DC is the Phantom Stranger or someone like that in it as well. I've got a feeling. Yes, the Phantom Stranger turns up. Um, there's also, I think, Blue Devils in it as well. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I must get into that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was chatting to Sarah Harris about it. And she's a huge Swamp Thing fan, and she says she can't get into it. She can't can't get you know, motivate herself to read to watch it. But I might do that myself as well. Well, obviously not as good as the comics, but no. I might give it a go. Yeah, cool. 
Excellent. So that's a little potted history of something. I'm hoping that this year there's going to be, you know, a little bit of a resurgence of new series maybe and stuff like that with the 50th anniversary. But yeah. we'll wait and see, I suppose. Yeah. And, of course, um, Len Wein makes that phone call to Alan Moore, doesn't he? I mean, as you say, yeah, Alan Moore... He David Lloyd. That's right. Him. He yeah. thinks it's David Lloyd winding him up and hangs up the phone. Um, this chap from America says, hello, Alan, it's, it's Len Wein from America. Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, uh, I do love that, yeah. And verified from both sides, I think, haven't they? Both Len Wein oh, and nice. Alan Moore have told that story, so... Yeah. Ah, great. That is good. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of videos online of Alan Moore, and um, I really like Alan Moore. I think he's, I think he's got a genuinely great sense of humour. I think he's, people sort of do him down a bit because they sort of presume he's this sort of dour, bitter creator, but he's not at all. Um, but there's a couple of videos of him online, and around the time of Swamp Thing being interviewed by a reporter, and, and he's telling them that he la- he lays in a load of mud. Yes, he's a method writer. He spent a week lying in a mud bath in order to write the issues. And he's very funny in those interviews. If you look at those interviews from the 80s when all this was happening, he's very funny. Yeah. He really is, yeah. yeah. And you can see he says it as a joke. The reporter kind of believes it, so he thinks he'll carry on with it. And then he realises that they're not in on the joke. You can see it in his face. You think, all right. And then he, t- he t- keeps saying, no, I, t- I say all my lines out loud to the mirror. That's his other thing he says a lot in these things, I think. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. So we're on to this issue. Now, it's not um, not not surprised you chose it because it's a great issue, but it's, um, it's not... A, what I remember the series to be. It's a kind of a little interlude almost, isn't it, do you think? It is absolutely an interlude. And it, and some of the backstory that I found out about it is interesting because okay. Len Wein's editor when Alan Moore starts, and I think he does the first five issues, I think Len Wein takes you through the Jason Woodrow story. And then Karen Berger takes over. And again, I've heard this from Karen Berger interviews that, Alan Moore had all these story ideas. The, the artists had story ideas because some of the characters were, you know, um, created by Stephen Bissett and John Tottleman. Yeah, now they were on board before Moore, weren't they? They, they were, they, that's right. I've heard her say that they were lucky because their ideas kind of gelled with his and it became like a... They got on well. They, they really, yeah, uh, they really sort yeah. of had the same vision for this character. And so they got all these story ideas literally on like a you know, notice board or something, and Karen Berger has to arrange them into some sort of order. And then, of course, the other thing (laughs) that I put in our notes was that Stephen Bissett, and I think this is in his notes at the back of the Absolute Edition, it took him five weeks to pencil a monthly comic. So you're always going to need fill-in issues at some point if you're the editor. And so they've got this story that's coming up about um, the love and death or the Brimstone Ballet story, but they need a fill-in issue. So they do Alan Moore. I think this is one of the ones that he wrote in about three days Okay. uh, on a deadline, and they got Sean McManus to draw it. Um, And it becomes becomes a really sort of neat thing because he gets to... I think the other thing that, you know, editors in comics you always hear is this idea that every comic is someone's first issue. So you've got to be reminding people of the backstory or the origin story from time to time. So this does a great sort of fill-in where it tells a story, it does a recap again of the origin story of Swamp Thing, and um, it sort of puts to rest all the past history of uh, Swamp Thing and gets ready for what's to come, doesn't it? 
Yeah, so it kind of reinforces what we'd learned over the previous few issues, doesn't it, I suppose? Yes. Um, in a conversational way with Abby, who sort of turns up. Um, did you... Do you want to give us? Are you able to give us a little potted history of what the issue's about? So, uh, Swamp Thing and Abby Arcane or Abby Cable are sort of like in the swamp, and he is getting distracted by. He's seeing a ghost. Basically, this is a ghost story issue, and it's very nice as a ghost story. Um, he's basically he's haunted by the ghost of Alec Holland, and spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. You know, this is as you say. This is this part is what thirty six years old there Tony, something like that. Yeah. So I mean the great thing everybody knows that Alan Moore did was he looked at this Swamp Thing character who was supposed to be a human Alec Holland who'd been turned into a swamp monster, and he was all the time um, searching for a way to get back to his humanity. And Alan Moore said, well if he if yeah. if he succeeds the comic's over. If he turns back to Alec Holland, the comic's over. And what he famously did in the, in the anatomy lesson was get rid of that idea. And actually, it turned out that the swamp thing was just a walking mass of plant matter that had been infected with Alec Holland's consciousness. So it had his memories and his mind, as it were, but it yeah. wasn't really Alec Holland. So in this issue, basically, Swamp Thing is haunted by the ghost of Alec Holland. He goes on a trip through the swamp back to literally his origin uh, story and you see it play out again and it ends with a burial um, and it's just a fantastic little issue written as a fill-in issue guest artist because Steve Bissett's working on the love and death story that's to come Yeah, and it's just it's a beautiful moment and it's also a very neat editorial trick where you retell the origin story for you know for people to catch yes. up um so it's just marvelous in a way yeah i agree and and it's um it's visually different so i hate to use the word scratchy i'm always saying scratchy it's certainly the next story with all the flies and all this sort of thing the, the next arc is is visually very different from this this is almost more traditionally told the, the colours are slightly flatter. They meet all the lines. There's no... Do you know what I mean? Is yeah. That... I mean, it's, Sean McManus's artwork is much more traditional comic book art than what Stephen Bissett and John Tottlebin were doing because I think their artwork on Swamp Thing, uh, Saga of the Swamp Thing, or just Swamp Thing as it became, their artwork was really different to uh, anything else you were seeing in American comics. The sort of... It's not quite... It's not quite Kevin O'Neill, but it has that sort of shock value that Kevin O'Neill was so different yeah. to the British artists and Bissett and Tottleben was so different to sort of like regular DC superhero comics at the time but then you get this lovely Sean McManus almost slightly cartoony um, yeah. film work on this one issue Yeah, there's um, they, there's a lot of um, scary faces in Bissett's work, but McManus's faces are a little bit more friendly, maybe a little bit more. There's a quirk to there's a, like a, it's, you know, if he really changed it a bit, you could fit in in Mad Magazine, I always think. With Mad yes. Sometimes. Yeah. There's, uh, especially with Abby, actually. Abby's got um, a familiar, quirky, funny, jokey. There's a, like a jokey nature to her face. We don't, she was always a bit more of a sort of tragic, sad character, wasn't she? Yeah. Throughout the, the rest of it. Um, so a little bit about Sean. So Sean was born in 1958 um, in Massachusetts. Um, 
he also later on did another fill-in issue, um, which is, is it called Pog? I always forget the name of the alien in that. So, yeah, is that issue 32, I think it is, it is. which is That's Pog, right. and which is a, you're probably just about to say this, Tony, but it's a tribute to Walt Kelly's Pogo. We're, we're back to those newspaper strips yeah. again. Yeah, and it's um, he, he flies around in a in a sort of tortoise. Yeah, this little alien. It's it's quite the thing. I remember there being a lot of talk about it at the time. And we said, "What's this?" You know. I know I it was it was quite um, a shock to me reading it that issue Pog, but of course I had no I had no history. I'd never heard of Walt Kelly and Pogo at that point, and it was only only later when I was reading comic magazines and they were saying, "Oh, it's the great tribute to Walt Kelly's Pogo. Everybody should read this. It's a great issue." Um, quite how Alan Moore knew about all this stuff because he just, he just obviously he just read everything in the entire world it seemed and remembered it all. Um, yeah. But yeah, he does that yeah. great another great feeling issue as well. Um, a few you know, what what yeah. four months later or so. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's in the same volume I think. It's yeah, in the, the same hardback I got. My first memories of him are, I think probably when he did the Amiga Men. Oh um, right, yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did five or six issues on that, and I, I was really into that series. But he um, probably best known for his work on Sandman, like you mentioned. Um, he's also did some Doctor Fate, some Legends of the Dark Knight, The Fairest. Um, hasn't done like a huge amount of comics work, but he's a recognisable name. Yeah. And he went off to design theme parks. Oh right, okay. I think. Yeah. I had a, I had a look at his site and thought, oh, there's a page of artwork there for two hundred quid. Then I realised it was a print. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> but there you go. Um, you can find him at Sean Comic Art S H A W N uh, Comic Art Sean McManus net as well online, um, and his uh, his site's got some really nice classic Swamp Thing recreations on it. He's obviously asked been asked to do, and he's put some of the commissions up there. Um, and you've you've certainly stu- um, covered him in your Sandman podcast, haven't you? Yeah, we talked about him a lot when we did a game of you, and of course I've done that twice now um, with my daughter Jenny. So yeah, that's where I really yeah. know him from. These two issues of Swamp Thing, and then a game of you, where it's this uh, wonderful sort of dream fantasy world that a character. Um, thought was it's one of those stories where game of you is one of those stories where somebody as a child had a fantasy world and then when they grow up they find some somehow it's real and they get reconnected with it and so he's perfect for that sort of fairy tale world that she goes into yeah there's um it's not totally funny there is a sort of strangeness to it isn't there um almost like a frightening fairy tale like you say it's got that that element to it and i feel that a bit here yeah the sort of he turns a uh, what could be seen as being a classic ghost story because it is it's kind of the ghost of your past revisits you etc and you follow him to find something out you know it's, yeah. there's there's that there is a certain cliche element to it but he does the alan and him twist it to make it something different i think and um, yeah i love the ghost story like that where the ghost wants something and this ghost of alec yeah. holland wants something from something and in order to get that, they're going to have to go through a sort of recreation of the origin story. And so you get that, um, we get these sort of flashbacks of Alec Holland and his wife Linda, who again looks like they're very similar to the Louise Simonson model yeah. from the front. And there's, of... a, there's even a comment about, I think, isn't she brushing her hair or there's a comment about brushing her hair? Exactly, at yeah. At one point as well. Yeah, so it's yeah. very much a sort of like nod to that. Uh, house of secrets cover um 
So that's lovely, and you get all that. And then you also get the two versions of Swamp Thing sort of meeting each other, the sort of yeah. Bernie Wrightson version. The and, smoother, I call him, yeah. The yeah. Other yeah. So as Bernie Wrightson drew him, he was a, a sort of smooth, skinned, but he had roots all over him. Um, and he looked a little bit like the guy in the suit, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And then... Under Bisset and Tottleben, and when Swamp Thing finds out he's actually some sort of plant creature, really, rather than a human, he became yeah. much shaggier and more... Uh, what's that famous expression? The muck-encrusted mockery of a man. He's, you know... Oh, nice. Yeah, he, yeah, gets, yeah. he gets more shaggy and covered in moss and there's bits hanging off him and stuff like that. And Sean McManus gets to draw both versions sort of meeting each other. And looking at each other, yeah, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, I really like that. Um, they, just quickly go back to the story, and then I want to return to that um, who is he really question, because it, it's a big one in this one. There's a couple, there's a couple of points that I came, came out of from that, from the reread that I'd forgotten. And um, he, she says to him, Linda says to Alec, um, I'd rather you wore me out, which I found just a, an unusual comment yes. in the DC comic. I don't know. It's that, that's what I think it means. And it, I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite funny because they start off the flashback with them sort of talking about sex that they'd had the morning, morning glory sex, and then they're getting ready for bed and she's brushing her hair and everything, and you get that, again, that little expression where he says something like, are you cold? And she says, no, are you reading? No. And it's, you know, clearly this is a young couple who... um, you know, playful. yeah, yeah, playful and quite into each other. And she says, "Yes, I'd rather you wore me out before I was 30. Yeah, I remember thinking that's a little bit unusual, but I don't know if it's just. I think it's. I think it's Alan Moore being playful, showing that he's going to push stuff because um, obviously the 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 intimacy between Swamp Thing and Abby later becomes is big becomes a central theme. In fact, I've got a big theory that this is just a love story of a book. I think. Yes. The love story between Abby and, and uh, something for big chunks of this is the most important part of it. Um, and one thing I hadn't picked up on the, when I, you know, uh, until this reread is that um, Swamp Thing's asking Abby about her relationship with her husband, Matt Cable. Yeah. And of course, at this point in the run, her relationship with her husband is going great. Um, for some reason, he's all back being happy and loving and caring, and he's yeah. he's got a job and he's buying a house and everything's going great. But also, Swamp Thing's sort of gently exploring. It seems to me with her, you know, uh, how, how are things with you and Matt? Is there, you know, almost the subtext yeah. is: is there any room for me? You know, are you interested yeah, it's more in me? Than a friendship, isn't it? Yes, yeah, even at that point. Yeah. yeah. Then and that is creepy af as the kids say because secret the spoiler secretly her husband is does he i think he swallows a fly or something doesn't he that yes yeah it's actually abby's father who then takes the body over no it's An- it's 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 uh it's anton on Kane, isn't it it's the oh, uncle sorry, right okay it's her uncle has so the reason oh, she's right. getting on so well that matt seems to have stopped drinking and has got a job and got out and buying a house is because he's been possessed by the dead spirits yeah. of Anton Arcane who's come back in the form of a fly. And um, yeah. that's going to set up the next three-issue storyline, which is 
Um, I know you've talked about this, Tony, on other podcasts about whether comics ever actually scare you. Okay. And the next yeah. three issues of this run, I found really scary and disturbing at the time. It's about as close. Yeah, it is, isn't it? it? I think, and there's foreshadowing in this story to it. So she says, "Oh, he's gone and bought a house or something." Or yes, that's something. right. Yeah. And then, and then they do, they do. He does take her, so it surprises her with this house that he's bought. This this sort of splendid looking house in the you know the middle of the bio, bio, and the and and it's full of people who when she sort of glances at them they're actually dead rotting people but when she looks at them properly they're actually people it's the weirdest most disturbing fly infested story isn't it it, really it is. is i mean yeah. she mentions it in this issue about why are all the flies still around so yeah. much and yeah you get that uh, later on you get that little flash like a horror movie where she sees people as yeah. some sort of zombies, and then suddenly they flash back to being normal appearance, and it's just done it's in one parallel. Not easy to do in a comic either. No, yeah, really isn't, and they do they do it so well. And um, if you flick, if you take the um, the second volume, you flick through it. Um, apart from the this issue we're talking about today, the the artwork just goes off on one because it almost ends with the trip, doesn't it? Yeah, a really trippy issue. Just think, it's incredible stuff, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it lost them, Comics Code Authority. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the next kind issue of on its feet a bit by then. It was. We had the Spider-Man and the hard-traveling heroes incidents yeah. and stuff like that, and people realised they could turn their back on it if they wanted. I think they could push it. Yeah. And I think the issue after this one doesn't have the Comics Code Authority stamp on it, and right. then it reappears briefly, and then it's gone. Yeah. And there was the wasn't there a fallout about they wanted to do one about Jesus or something? So, is, right? um, is it uh, is it Rick Veach who takes over after Alan Moore? Yeah, and he uh, he was doing a series of time traveling stories or something, and he they they wrote an issue where Swamp Thing appears at the crucifixion, and I think even <laughs> because you know later on Swamp Thing gets the ability to sort of form himself out of any plant or wood material other planets and all that sort of other thing, planets yeah. and all that and time traveling and i think wasn't it even suggested that swamp thing becomes the cross or something like that oh right this rings a bell yeah and and it got a no-no didn't it it, it got, got a complete no-no from dc and uh possibly did he i can't remember i should have looked into this a bit more but did he walk away from the comic because of that um it caused a huge done, fuss a bit... didn't it yes yeah, to be fair, this is way off topic because we didn't discuss it. No, this is this is after yeah. Alan Moore's run. This is somewhere about eighty-five in the run. Yeah, yeah. I think about night about nineteen ninety-five. I read all of this run in one go. Right, uh, and there's some, that, that is a good little run of it as well. I have to say, a couple of other things that bothered me. Just we talk a little bit about the story, and we'll we'll move on to a couple of the themes. Is um so the story moves on. He goes and revisits his origin where. You know the bomb explodes and he's thrown out of he's thrown out of the lab into the into the um, the swamp. Now two things two things that bothered me. One, why has he got a cabin that is a lab in the middle of a swamp? I never quite understood that <laughs> part of it. Because comic characters do, don't they? If you're gonna yeah, exactly. if you're gonna work on a on a revolutionary bio restorative formula, um, you yeah, do it in okay. a cabin in the middle of the swamp, miles from anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing, so it carries on, and Swamp Thing follows the ghost, and he realizes he's digging holes and stuff, and then he realizes that the the body is under the water. So he goes underwater, and he picks up the skeleton and he brings it to the to the surface, which is we'll talk about it is the cover, which is a beautiful cover. Yeah, um, I love I love rain on anything. I'm a big fan of rain. It's not 
not an easy thing to draw. But you being, uh, you obviously being the man, the knowledgeable man like this, skeletons don't work like that, surely? Do they Do they hold together like that? No. Okay. <laughs> Almost certainly not. It works for the comic because, uh, as you say, Swamp Thing retrieves uh, Alec Holland's skeleton from the bottom of the, uh, of the muck pool and brings it to the surface and then buries it. But, yeah, it's yeah. all... The skeleton is perfect... Um, wired together skeleton that you would see hanging in a sort of shop or, a, or an anatomy lab um, yeah. and it sticks together rather than being a collection of bones but it works for the cover and it works in the comic pages yes it does so we forgive it i know it just, yeah. uh, it just uh, occurred to me that you might be the right person to ask but yeah, yeah. no they don't work like that no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that cover's amazing i do love that cover it's um it's slightly more straightforward than we see elsewhere in the run. You know, there's the, the famous close-up of the, is it an eye and yeah. all this sort of thing. But this, um, he, he's being rained on and he's holding the, 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 the skeleton in his arms. Um, and it's it's a storytelling technique that covers used to use more. I wish they did use more now. Yeah. Um, and it's Bissett and Tottleburn who do the, the cover. Yeah, um, okay. So they're still able to do the cover the covers for these issues. And, yeah, it is such a beautiful image of Swamp Thing in the rain, with the, the clutching the skeleton of Alec Holland. And then in the story pages, uh, what does it say in the story? It says something like, uh, the mind vanished, the flesh vanished, but the bones remained. Down there in the cold, all those dark years, you must have been lonely. Uh, it's great stuff. Incredible. Yeah, Yeah, it really is, yeah. Yeah, quick, a quick mention about the cover art. So Tatiana Wood, born Germany, won the Shazam Award in 71 and 74. In late 68, she showed her samples to Joe Orlando, um, but waited over a year to get a call for some work. She did get a call. Um, she moved to New York City just slightly after the war. Um, they were, they were German-born Jews, moved to Holland, and then moved to America. Um, she was actually married to Wally Wood. Yes. They married in 1950. Um, that must have been a wild ride. Wally wasn't the most sane people in the world. Yeah. And um, I gather I gather she's had legal difficulties with his estate as well. Oh, ab- over okay. so, over the ownership of some art- artwork that Marvel sent her. Some of his artwork. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. She's still about she's not working or anything now, obviously she's quite elderly, I think. She's but, coming uh, up for ninety five a few weeks after this podcast comes out, I guess. Oh, nice work. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And she, yeah, yeah, she is fantastic. For those that were looking, she was mentioned. Amazing, what, what a lady! Yeah, uh, she was mentioned in um, DC Profile Forty Nine. So DC Comics in the Bronze Age would print these little profiles. They're sort of quite conversational pieces. Um, and she's described as being um, one of the easiest and yet one of the toughest people to work with. I like that. I kind of <laughs> now I've got this perfect image of her. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, she's also a professional dressmaker. Made made costumes for theatre companies. Um, her favourite thing to colour was war stories because she liked to be that woman who coloured war stories because she was kind of the only one. Um, and she describes herself as being sure but careful. So right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, she's quite a character, I think. So her colouring is such a big feature of the Alan Moore run and it's so beautiful and it, she does, she helps with this sort of mossy and all these different variations of green that you yeah, see on green. Swamp Thing. Um, and if we just talk about the absolute editions for a moment, because w- if I understand this correctly, basically in the absolute editions that have come out in the last couple of years, there's two volumes so far, they've recoloured the artwork. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I think it's Steve Oliff has recoloured it. Um, and the reason being is it's printed like an absolute edition on very high quality glossy paper. And if I understand correctly, yeah. they tried it with her colours. 
And because, you know, this was still the newsprint area for the internal pages. So the internal pages are on yeah. uh, newsprint. And the colours, if I understand correctly, they didn't work quite rightly on the glossy paper. So they had it recolored. Um and you probably know I wrote a rather sniffy review of it on Amazon when the first volume came out because oh, I was oh, I was said, that's right. I was all cross <laughs> about it, particularly as it didn't seem to make much mention of Tatiana Wood in the books, and they because it's an absolute edition you get lots of back matter. So in the first volume you get lots of back matter from Steve Bissett. Yeah. In the second volume, uh, which I got for Christmas, you get back matter from John Tottleben, uh, with sketches and supporting, in, you know, interviews and so on. So I was really hoping that in the third volume, they might go in depth on Tatiana Wood. But I gather, if you know the Facebook groups are to be believed, because of COVID, because of DC's layoffs, because they've laid off so many people. Yeah. Apparently, the third volume may not happen, which is a shame because I would oh, really hope that they would, particularly while she's still with us, you know, that they would have a chance to put some Tatiana Wood in the back um, pages. Yeah. But we'll see, I guess. You're right, man. I mean, if you were given this, any average colourist who was given, uh, not perhaps this issue, but any of the other issues, you'd go, you want me to colour that? You know? It's yeah. quite a feat, isn't it? There's a lot of line work on it. There's a lot of different sections. There's a lot of mood. There's a lot of shadow in a lot of it. Um, and you might also say, but it's all green. You know, what am I going to do? It's all He's all green, yeah. you know. What do I, yeah, where's true. the variation? Yeah. But she manages it, and it's such a part of the comic. Um, and I liked the hardbacks that you've got stuck yeah. with her, you know, because the paper is... Newsprinty, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like matte, matte newsprinting. Yeah. And they stuck with her colouring, and it's so fabulous stuff, particularly as the series gets darker and darker and as it goes along, and some of the horror stories that are to come. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the only hump I have about the, um, the hardbacks I've got is the first one has a sort of flat matte background to it, and then the second one goes sort of full shiny gloss. Yes, I, I did notice that. I just picked them out this morning for this and I was thinking yeah. now why did they do that why did they start with the matte cover and then go glossy yeah the absolute editions when you pull them out of the huge slip case they've got a sort of textured almost mossy green cover which I quite like oh, right yeah oh I've seen that online yeah it looks yeah. great yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. but yes they did change it for the hardbacks I don't know why yeah 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 um, okay, so the, some of the, the main the main story thing I wanted to discuss you was the theme of rebirth, right? Um, so um, the 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 theory that he isn't so she calls him Alec is quite poignantly in it, and he says I'm not Alec. He sort of snaps back at her, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, my theory is that we are, we are, if we're anything, we're a collection of thoughts. We're not a collection of flesh. Um, not, I'm not, and the, I don't mean it's a religious way. I'm not a religious man, but the, we you know, we are our thoughts. We're not. I'm not my toenail, you know. Yeah. I'm not my my nose. Um, and he 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 may be swamp thing. He may be this, you know, god of some kind. Um, but he's still Alex's memories and thoughts. He still is to me, Alec. And I always found that a strange assumption that was almost a little bit forced on me. I don't know how, what you thought of that. So. 
It's fascinating because he's found out that he's not Alec Holland. He's just the memory and consciousness of Alec Holland that's infected this bio-restorative formula-infused plant matter. And this issue is a bit of a turning point because, as you say, he rejects the Alec Holland identity when she calls she keeps calling him Alec and he's as you say he snaps at her um he yeah. snaps at her partly because he's just been disturbed by a ghost that he's seen and she hasn't yeah um and later on in the run he will um perhaps he's got over it he's got over himself because of this episode and he accepts in a way the Alec identity and he says no you can call me Alec it's okay Um, But, yeah, the idea of, in story terms, getting rid of the past. So this is, in a way, Alan Moore again saying, all those past stories you remember about Swamp Thing, they're all gone now. That's that's the past. We're burying that. We're moving on. Um, And you get this burial sequence and the the poetic language that goes with it, which we might talk about in a moment. But, yeah, I, 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 you know, this idea that we are bags of memories and stories and thoughts, and that's what's important rather than the bones and the, uh, the flesh. Um, it's a fascinating issue for that reason, I think. Yeah, I think so as well. And it, you know, the fact that it occupies my, my thoughts beyond reading it is always a sign of something good, I think. It's one of those um, issues that sticks with you a bit because, you know, the story sticks with you. I think... You could look back at Moore's writing from this era and say, well, it's a little bit, possibly a little bit pretentious, but there was nothing yeah. like it in American comics at this time. The poetry of his writing, um, the beauty of his writing in a way, the way he describes things. Um, and in this issue, this sort of powerful moment of uh, having the courage to bury the past put something to rest and then move on is um it's it's just beautiful i'm gonna get oh i'm gonna get all <laughs> wax <laughs> lyrical I mean, about it right. it does it reflects on a lot of things and i i you know i wonder if it reflects on more a little bit more is taking a big leap himself isn't he he's he he's not only is he taking a leap into american comics now you know he's, yeah which was his big favorite as a kid growing up but he's also um he will go on and, in this case, wipes clean other people's work. And he, he did that over and over again, didn't he? Even if you look at Watchmen, Watchmen was originally other characters that he reworked. Yes. Um, even if you look at something like Supreme or something, you know, all these sort of stories. I mean, 1984 is Beef Vendetta, let's face it. Yeah. Um, it's, I, you know... It's an interesting thing. As you know, I... Because um, I, did, I, did I mention I do a podcast, Tony? <laughs> And on it, I interviewed a guy called Chris Carer, who's um, uh, he's an American comic art collector, and he owns Brian Bolland's uh, Gaze into the Fist of Dread page, which is probably the most famous panel from Judge Dredd's history. But he's also, you know, he's got a big collection, and one of the pages he owns is page 21 of this comic which is where Swamp Thing carries the skeleton. Skeletons don't work like that. Uh, Carries the skeleton and places it in the hole and says, I've found what I've prepared a place for you. Let us hope that it is deep enough. And so he owns that page. And when he was on the podcast talking to me, he was telling me about this 
powerful moment of, you know, having the courage to bury the past and move on. And yeah. I'm, I apologise to Chris if I'm going to get this wrong, but he told me, I think he was telling me in that blokey fashion that it was about a friend. You know, a friend said that this was a very powerful psychological moment for him in comics. And I was thinking afterwards, I was thinking, I think maybe that was bloke code for I'm talking about myself now. And yeah. I wonder if Alan Moore, like you say, this was something for Alan Moore as well, that he is um, taking some of his past... And he had a he had a slightly unusual teenage um, period. You know, he was a he didn't fit in at school, did he? He was expelled, and yeah. he was very much yeah. um, all, selling acid or something. I think he was, he yeah. yeah. And you know, and I think he's had some. He also had some. I think he's talked recently about some unpleasant experiences he had as a child. And he clearly he he was a bit of a rebel and didn't fit in. He's a is the phrase autodidact. He's always like he's entirely self-taught, isn't he? It's all from his own. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you may be right. Maybe this is Alan Moore doing that thing that he all often did in comics of the time, which was bring up the past of a character, shred it, shatter it, bury it, and then move on with something completely different, new take on characters. Uh, yeah, rework it to something more. Yeah. And, uh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The, um, yeah, I've got a T-shirt that says "Read More Comics" and it's a picture of Alan Moore. But there you go. <laughs> um, the, of course, I have to say I think you're right completely and utterly, and I think there is a depth to it there that um, I think perhaps people don't, you know, appreciate. But you can read things on two levels. However, I think if this comic came out today uh, and the, the situations were exactly the case, somebody on the internet would say this is Alan Moore when Swamp Thing is confronting the, the beast of the past. He is confronting. Wrightson or Pasco or Ween and saying, look, I'm taking over now. You know, this is me taking over. And I um, have read that take on this issue. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, I have read that online, that people have said, yeah, this is Alan Moore signalling that the, 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 the Ween and Wrightson era is over. This is a new look for Swamp Thing, um, literally, and also new stories mm. and um, a new form of horror, not the necessarily the gothic archetypes. What we're going to do in the next three issues... And then after that, in the annual, when Swamp Thing goes to hell, we're going to take horror and you know horror comics in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, it's it's, it's it is an impressive. And there is, I know we you, you're going to talk a bit about the dialogue in a second and the almost like the narration, but there are quite a few pages with very little on, aren't there? Yes, which I think is is masterful. I love I love the way a writer can do that thing sometimes. Yeah, and it's um you know it's quite it feels like a short issue. It's quite a, it's quite a quick read. Yeah, it does. And it's a little pause between you had the story before which had Jack Kirby's demon in it uh that they brought back and then you get the next story which is the arcane story where it really goes into a very sort of modern horror and it's interesting. I still actually, think, sorry to interrupt, but I still think when a fly lands on my arm, yeah. I'm still affected it by it because I read this. You think, oh, God, it's <laughs> yeah. arcane. Yeah. yeah. This is interesting because this is a moment for Abby because uh, we see her in the swamp and she's talking about how things are going well for her. She's smiling. She's relaxed. Um, yeah. Because one of the things, you know, Alan Moore puts Abby through the ringer a lot. In the preceding comics, and certainly in the in the the ones that come after this, um, yeah. and then even when 
you know, I think when Swamp Thing's off-world and she's she goes to prison or, you know, something else, she's arrested anyway. Yeah, this one's about, it's been a while. Yeah, she, yeah. You know, she certainly goes through it. But this is a little moment for her of things seem to be going well. Um, she's happy and content. It's all going to go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong, Arabi, I'm afraid. Yeah, he's setting her up there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah for the next issue when it, the fall begins almost, isn't it? Yeah. She's almost, like, unnaturally happy in this, I feel, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Did you want to talk a bit about some of the, the dialogue, dude? Is there something, some stuff that you wanted to, to mention? or? Well, I, I mean, I think particularly it's the narration. Um, you know, it yeah. starts with um, this bit about digging, you know, how deep, how deep does it have to be? I think, like I said, I think Alan Moore's writing at this time, particularly when he did narration, was very... Uh, very poetic, very literate, very um, yeah. atmospheric. I don't know. Have you read part of it's in the middle of this issue on the uh, Meanwhile page? But Alan Moore wrote a text piece for DC Sampler Comic Issue 2 called This Is The Place. Well, Have you ever read that? Not for many years. I do remember it. I can't right. remember anything about it. I think I own it. I must have read it, but yeah. Yeah, so it's in DC Sampler 2. It's an essay, um, and it accompanies a single sort of page-and-a-half illustration by Bissett and Tottleben again. And it's just about the atmosphere of the Louisiana swamps. And it's so... It's partly is partly reprinted in the middle of this issue in, in on Dick Giordano's Meanwhile page, which was like the... Um, right, yeah. What was like Stanley's? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the language he uses that Swamp Thing is sort of narrating this issue about how deep does a hole have to be to bury the plast, and how cold and lonely you must have been down there in the water for all these years. Um, it, I found it very moving at the time. I find it very moving now. Um, yeah. you know because. What, how old was I when I read this? This was like, you know, I was in my early 20s when I read this. Okay. Um, and I hadn't been to a great many funerals in your early 20s. But, you know, now that I've been to funerals and you think about this issue, I find yeah. it very powerful and moving stuff. And I've, I found it again when I went back and read it now. Yeah, I think it's intensified a bit by the fact that I've always found Swamp Thing a very lonely character. Yes. I think he, he's... You know, you've got Abby, but and that worked for a while. But you always felt that every, everything good in his life would be pulled away. There's a, you know, he's almost like DC's daredevil. You know, nothing goes well for him for a long. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. We talked about Matt uh, Murdock and Daredevil yeah. getting put through the ringer. Swamp Thing gets put through the ringer, and whenever he, whenever he brushed up against the rest of the DC universe, he never seemed to fit in. He was always on the edge of things. Yeah. Uh, or even, you know, when. Because I think the issue before this one, Superman and Green Lantern turn up at the end to take Jason Woodrow off to Arkham Asylum. Yeah. And Swamp Thing's not in it. He's he's disappeared at that point. He's sort of like observing from a distance. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a weird run for that, actually. Funny you should mention that. I was just thinking about that because I don't... I can't imagine Alan Moore would ever put up with this now. But there's... there At one point, we get, like, little hints of the upcoming crisis on Infinite Earths. There's like whole pages that are set in space stations, and you know it's almost like an editorial dictate. Say, oh, you know, Alan, by the way, you've got to put, you know, um, a little bit of crisis on. Well, we've got a Batman in the next issue, or 
Yeah, they had to, didn't they? They were told, yeah. you've got to put an appearance of the Monitor and Harbinger in every yeah. every issue that month or whatever it was. And then you've got to do a crisis tie-in issue coming up. So they do a crisis tie-in issue in the middle of the American yeah. Gothic storyline, Swamp Thing, where you have Swamp Thing appearing on the... Um, is he on the Monitor satellite, I think, or something like that? And you just think... I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I don't want to see Swamp Thing on a satellite... I want to see him yeah. in the muck and the mud, off by himself, being lonely, uh, yeah, exactly. or yeah. dealing with the supernatural DC characters that Alan Moore used so well, and that Neil Gaiman would go on to use in Sandman. You know, the Demon yeah. and the Phantom Stranger and uh, Dead Man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the Dead Man's great. I mean, the, the, that's the most horrific demon that's ever been drawn. I think. Yeah. As much as I love Matt Wagner's version and Kirby's version, all that sort of thing is fucking awful. Yes. You know, yeah, it is a demon, isn't it? You know, that's what they get. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was reading that issue, uh, I think, last night or the night before, where Abby Arcane talks to Jason Blood, who's like the human alter ego of Jack Kirby's demon. Yes. And Jason Blood says something about they've been, him and the demon are at war, and the demon is winning. Um, you know, he's becoming more horrific and more demonic. Um, yeah. As the stories progress, yeah, it's it's. I think we were lucky that we got Vertigo. So not long after this, we got Vertigo, didn't we? So he was taken away into his own almost sort of pocket universe for a while. And I, um, that's what I wanted. I wanted Swamp Thing in the Vertigo universe, not in the DC universe. And I wanted, you know, I didn't know it at the time because we'd never heard of it. But I wanted Karen Berger and Vertigo and all those. Yeah, weird yeah. and slightly um i don't know what you call them they were slightly they were literally it was strange they were edgy they were some of them were sort of like downright psychedelic yeah it, um titles british. i always think of them as british stories. yeah the you know just weirdness like pete milligan used to write and all this sort of thing shade the changing man and even just with the weirdest stuff like Egypt or something like that, you think, what the fuck was that? I know. Yeah, but it's all bundles. It did, yeah. and I, I wish we still had Vertigo. I, I don't want this yeah. DC black label, as they're now calling it. I want, I want Vertigo again. Um, yeah, me too. I want Karen yeah. Berger, and I want Vertigo. Um, yeah. That uh, leads me to some of the final questions then, man. Do you still keep up with Swamp Thing? I mean, he's clearly one of your favourite characters. You know, you've been quite um, moved by a lot of his stories. Is it something you still revisit? Or... I, I dip in from time to time. I've just got... Yeah. Um, I've bought a couple of recent annuals and specials. There was a 30-page giant winter special Swamp Thing, which came out, I guess, a couple of years ago, written by... That's the one with the walk through the snow. Though. Yes, that's the yeah. one. And I think lots of people have yeah. talked about that. The Walk Through the Snow, written by Tom King, who's an interesting writer. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Swamp Thing, again, sort of being this lonely figure, carrying this child that he's rescued through the snow. And that's like a weird ghost story. It, it goes on forever. It just yeah. That's right. There's something weird happening with time in that issue. So I love that. And I know, I think there's another relaunch of Swamp Thing coming up, possibly to tie in with the 50th. So I may well get yeah, back too. on board yeah. um 
Yeah. I, I actually I quite like the Paquette Snyder series where it crossed over with Rot World and right. Animal Man and stuff. I thought that was okay. Yeah. I'm a bit of a Paquette mark. I've got a couple of pages of his. I really like his stuff. And Snyder kept it interesting. It was the problem. I think the problem we've got, we've got such a high watermark. It'll never be this good. Yeah, I know. I keep reminding myself, you know. I know. I mean, it is like Jonathan Ross said, you know, at the time, this was uh, the best comic in the English language, you know, at the time. I can only speak for English language comics, you know, but I think this was the best comic on the shelves every month. And... Uh, we've talked before about the hunt for monthly, monthly comics, you know, and what they would get. Trying to keep up with the run of Swamp Thing. Um, it was number one on my list, put it that way. You know, it was the one comic yeah. that I was really looking forward to. And it I can. Was, it was one of those ones you had to get to the shop to get because it would have been gone up. Exactly. It would disappear. Yeah. So you'd have to get there and then I would take it back to my student flat uh, and devour it. <laughs> yeah. And I've still got them, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, me too. I've got I've got the run of them. They're yeah. great. The uh, and the other thing you sent one of the other things you sent me through is the the comics that were happening in '84. So, did you want to give us a little summary of what what else was going on elsewhere, just to give people a taste of what? So I talked on the very first time I appeared on the um, the remarkable Never Iron Anything podcast. I talked about 1986 because we did Daredevil: Born Again, and I said, you know, 1986 in comics, what a year! But 1984 is pretty good as well. Uh, you got Alan Moore and Alan Davis doing the finale of the Captain Britain, Jasper's Warp and the Fury story. That Mighty World of Marvel was a great... Oh, that was really so was. good, wasn't it? That and the Daredevils were two real high watermarks for me. Yeah. Still got all of those. Um, yeah. Halo Jones starts that year. Judge Dredd does City of the Damned, which, you know, has got great Steve Dillon art, although... Yeah. More, uh, about that recently with, yeah, uh, with, um, with that, Damien. With, uh, um, Damien, sorry, yeah, yeah. Who just texted me actually to say, "How are you, you old bastard?" So there you go. That's good. Um, and then in uh, the US, you get the first issues of uh, Marvel Secret Wars Power Pack, which we've talked about. Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles issue one. That's sort of groundbreaking. Wow. Mr. X, yep. Mage, Zot. You and I were talking about those. Those are great comics, Mage and Zot. They really are. Yeah, Mage is incredible. I keep meaning to do like a podcast with Sarah Harris and Cliff Cumber about I've made them read it, but they haven't quite got through it yet. But, right. Uh, yeah, I want to do three three podcasts and one based on each of the volumes because they are so good. They are so yeah. It is great stuff. And then elsewhere yeah. in the world, I looked on the Wikipedia page, first appearance of Usagi Yojimbo. Ah, good. Yeah, I love the bit of you, Soggy. Yeah. And then I just picked this one up because I know um, this Dutch comic shop, Lambiek, that you, you're you a fan yeah. of their website. Their, their sort yeah, of... they do like a history of comics website. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And they published, in 1984, they published Will Eisner's Contract with God in Yiddish for the first time. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, 1986, groundbreaking year, but 1984 is pretty good as well. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be, yeah, yeah. And if you've only... got the anatomy lesson, so there, you know. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, do you have a favourite Alan Moore book? Is it this or is it another one? I was I was wrestling with that question um, because you think, right. you know, I love V for Vendetta, I love Captain Britain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watchmen, I've sort of had a, like a lot of people, had a difficult relationship with over the years. I was so excited when it was coming out. It was... You know, it was the most exciting thing happening at the time. Really yeah. But I've sort of, you know, um, 
my revisits of that have given me more problems with it. I think, as much as I love Halo Jones and stuff like that as well, I think my favourite Alan Moore comic is Swamp Thing, his Swamp okay. Thing run. Um, yeah. Just great I think stuff. You're right about Watchmen. I think I think the thing with Watchmen as well, people have gone back and copied it, so we've seen it a lot since. Yeah. Um, but Swamp Thing hasn't been matched. Um, I, I, it would be a toss-up for me between this and... Um, it's, it's a weird... I, I don't know if you've ever done this, Eamon, maybe with films or books or comics, where I've read or seen something once and I've had such an e- extreme experience with it that I don't want to go back and reread it. It's almost like... Um, it's my famous theory about I'll never watch the end of Fitzcarraldo, but the right I, <laughs> uh, which Vince teases me about, but I I read from hell uh, in in an afternoon um, uh, while sitting somewhere waiting to be um, waiting to go and be called to do something, and I just I had nowhere to go. I was sat in a room bored, and I read the whole of From Hell in like six seven hours, and it such it was such it made such an impact on me. I'll never read it again, but I, I just think it's marvellous. I really do. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I've um, Pete Wells has chosen From Hell to come on Mega City Book Club with at some point in the future, which means I've got to do a reread of it. And in a way, I'm sort of like not looking <laughs> forward to it because it was so disturbing and so, you know, intense an experience. And yeah. I, I have that, like you, I have that with films. There's three films on my list I'm sort of glad I've seen them, but I never ever want to see them again. Um, nothing, right. nothing to do with comic. Well, actually, one of them is one of them is Grave of the Fireflies, the anime. I don't know if you've seen that about the Japanese no, kids. I haven't seen it. I know of it. Oh, I seen it it's yet. such a, you know, it's such a devastating experience that you think, yeah, I like. I'm glad I saw it, but I never want to go through that again. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, I'm the same with that one, actually. It was quite an experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like then, doing the drug yourself. Oh, I know. I'm going to say yes. And then, yeah. and then is, it, uh, is it Paul Greengrass made the film, and I'm going to get the title wrong, I think it's United 93 or something like that. It's about the airplane, the fourth airplane in 9-11, oh. the one that the passengers overpowered them right. and, and forced it to crash. I don't know. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. No, I've heard of it. But... Uh, so I watched that, and it was... I don't know why we're talking about this, but anyway, <laughs> I watched that. It was such an intense experience. And about three-quarters of the way through the film, I realised I was waiting for Bruce Willis or Wesley Snipes to stand up. <laughs> and then, of course, I realised it's not that sort of film. You know, there isn't an action hero in this film, and it's... oh. It's an intense yeah. experience, and again, I was you know thinking, yeah, I'm glad I've seen that. I'm never watching that ever again. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I remember seeing um, The Road. Oh, uh, right, yes. And I saw it in the cinema, and I came out, and it had started snowing. Oh, God. And I thought, no, nah, fuck that, I'm not watching that again. <laughs> no. The, <laughs> yeah, good. And my last question for you is a kind of um, ex- slightly existential, actually. It's um, And it, it can apply to anything, but are we, are we I often... I often wake up thinking this are we are we mental Eamon you know we we read these things that are just a series of pictures on a page you know with a lot of writing and 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 you and I and others draw so much out of them and this is just a story about a bloke who's covered in leaves really yeah it's just a muck monster muck man walking around in a mud suit yeah yeah and we 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 you and I probably we do a lot of revising for this you know it's like we've been sending messages backwards and forwards and reading and listening to podcasts we've probably spent hours just you know thinking about what we're going to discuss and then discussing it and it's just 
It's a strange world, man. That's all I think. I don't, but I don't know whether it's just sort of being locked in has got me thinking about it a bit, you know. But isn't, I mean, again, this is a story about Alec Holland's consciousness and whether we are composed of mind and stories and memories or whether yeah. we're composed of this sort of base flesh that we're, we're clad in. And great art makes us feel something. All art, you know, if it's has an yeah. impact, it makes us feel something, gives us... Uh, an emotional reaction or a mental reaction it makes us mental and you know um reading these comics at the time and reading them again now and reading some of the stuff that you and I have gone through for you know various podcasts it yeah. it does have a powerful impact on us and people as you know, you know, you say to somebody, oh, I collect comics. I know all the people at work. They know I collect comics and they all think, oh, he's a bit weird, isn't he? It's a bit silly, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I know. You know, yeah, you and me both. And yeah. you have the, you, I know you've had the same discussions with people and they look at you like um, you're some kind of serial killer or something, you know, weird, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, sex yeah, exactly. You're not, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You collect <laughs> comics. You're not about to go all weird on me, are you? And, and the difficulty we have is sort of explaining to them um, how emotional or how powerful some of the moments we've had with comic books over the years have been and how much of an impact they had on us. Because I, I remember, if I go back to this Alan Moore essay, This Is The Place, I tried to read that to my family one dinner time. And right. they were in stitches. <laughs> they, <laughs> they thought I was hysterical. They thought I was, they could they were just laughing at me. And I was going, no, it's really, really good. Um, and you get that, I think, when you listen to some people talk about film. I mean, I've never really got opera, but you listen to some people talk about opera to you and you think, oh, yeah, you know, I understand. You're getting this emotional connection with the music yeah. and the stories um that i don't quite get but i can't quite give you the same uh description of how powerfully swamp thing issue 28 affected me or how powerful yeah. the third book of halo jones is when she loses her friend and you know yeah, yeah. i suppose that's the the power for for a visual medium there's a lot of fucking podcasts out there aren't there yeah exactly you know, just people talking in your head and i suppose that's why man i suppose because we do i wasn't trying to joke about it i just kind of occurred to me that i was writing all these notes about rebirth and stuff and i thought well hang on a minute you know what i mean it's a there, funny book was, it's a comic yeah. book yeah 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 but it's there is more to it now i remember my go-to for a while was i'd say to people they say oh comics and i go yeah but do you do you like art and they go well yeah i like paintings and stuff and i said well and do you like reading a novel? Well, most of them don't because of the people I used to work with, but some of them will go, yes. And I'll say, well, all you're doing is combining them both. Yeah. You know, and, and they still went, eh? You yeah. know, but that, I tried my best. I was a bit like you. Well, yeah. to go back to Bill Waterston and Calvin and Hobbes, I think we talked about this on that episode where there's a strip he does where Calvin is taking a page from the comic and then hanging it in a frame on a wall in a gallery. And he says when does low art become high art, you know? And yeah. Bill Waterson is making this point that these funny pages from the newspaper can be 
just as powerful and impactful as going to stand in the National Gallery and staring into a Turner for ages or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, having having visited a number of art museums, I think there's a lot better art in comics these days. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I always think of it. There's there's one that I always go to. It's the is it the fabulous furry freak brothers? Oh right. There's an issue with that where they decide they're all sitting there and they decide right, we're going to stop smoking weed, and um, the the picture slowly becomes a photograph. And they look at each other and they go, no, we better start. We better start again. And I think, yeah, there's something to be said about that as well. Yeah. You know? But there you go. No, but to answer your question, I'll give you, okay, I gave you a long answer. I'll give you the short answer. Okay. Are we mental? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah, I think we all are. Yeah, yeah that's, but that's there's theory. nothing wrong with that. Uh, exactly. Just while we're at it, let's just I'll just mention uh, thank you to everybody who made nice comments about our Calvin and Hobbes episode. It shouldn't have been a surprise to me, Tony, but it turns out everybody loves Calvin and Hobbes, don't they? Yeah, it was a not nice comments about that. There really was, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. it's one of the most popular episodes. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a great one. And it's um, when they sort of someone googled me at work and said, "Oh, comics," and I said, "Oh, yeah, that's the one, the podcast I gave them because it's the one that you know, is right. universal, isn't it?" Yeah, yeah Calvin and Hobbes is universal. Yeah, everybody yeah. loves it. It turns out, good stuff. Right, bit of a chain of pace now. We actually have a sponsor. Um, so um, we're just going to pause for a second here, if you don't mind, Eamon, while our sponsor makes a few comments. Oh, Hi there, my name is Clef Cumber. You may know me as the bad boy of comics and the artist behind such filth as Tony Osmond is a movie star for Tribute Press and Future Shock branded for Space Warp. Lacking in focus, lacking in purpose, suffering from the existential despair of crushing doubt, We've all been there, my friend. I'm no stranger to being a loser like you. What? You thought I was always this way, a megastar comic artist? <laughs> no, I was a deadbeat nobody too. That was until I started a cult. And I'm recruiting. Free robe with every membership. Surrender your will to me and finally find the purpose you're looking for. Subservience. Don't let life beat you down, friend. Join my cult and let me do it for you. Paid for by the Cult of Q. Okay, thanks for that. Wow. Welcome to the new, welcome to the new world. Okay. Um, yeah, very excited by that. I'll, uh, I'll explain all to you in a second. All right, uh, get on board. Yeah. Never Iron Anything with Tony Esmond. <laughs> yeah. Become a Never Iron Man. Yeah. Anyway, you can have that one, Tony. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Cheers, son. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, so a couple of questions for you. Dude, firstly, uh, you teased me with this that so you've got um, some exciting news. So, what's your exciting news? Okay, my exciting news, Tony. This welcome to the section of the podcast called Tony and Aim and discuss pension plans. Okay, because <laughs> if I'm right, <laughs> if I'm right, Tony, you have retired and then gone back to work for a university. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. That's right. So yeah. I retire from the NHS this coming September when I'll be sixty. And my family have been going on at me about what I'm going to do when I retire. And they said, well, you should study comics. So the University of East Anglia in Norwich have started a one-year master's degree in comic studies. Um, And they've just started. They're in the first year now. And I have applied for it. And just before Christmas, I found out that I've been accepted. So basically, this time next year, I'll be studying comics at the UEA in Norwich um oh brilliant i know i I, i'm i'm coming to visit you at that man there you are and here's here's the thing because here's the family joke tony the family joke is that when i was at medical school 
I was really studying comics. <laughs> and, you know, how appropriate that Alan Moore had an issue called the anatomy lesson, which I probably paid more attention to than I did the structure of the human shoulder. So, <laughs> you know, um, if anybody asks me where, you know, the course of the brachial nerve, I might go a bit vague and look and say, well, I can remember Alan Moore. <laughs> Yeah. So next year I'm going to be studying a bit of doing a bit of comic studies, but I might do a bit of medicine on the side. How about that? Oh, nice, man. That's great news. I saw that came out as an advert, and I seriously considered it. Ah, right. Before I before I got this this offer at a university, but um, I was let you know how I get on. Yeah, yeah. That's mad because I'm about to do a master's as well. I'll tell you about it. Are you? Oh, well, there you go. We're all at it. So uh, lifelong learning. We are going back to uni. Yeah. The thing is, you're already a doctor. I'm just desperate to be one before I die. Well, in Doctor Who terms, I'm going to go from being a doctor to become a master. So I'm going... Oh, yeah. I'm taking the... We've done all the jokes in my house, so... (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. And the other one I was going to ask you about is the the podcast. You've got, as I like to refer to him, My Vince on... Yeah, so we are recording tomorrow. Uh, my episode comes out with James Peaty, who's a 2000D writer, talking about Alan Grant and Norm Bray sure. Fogel's run on Detective Comics. Oh, and then nice. oh, good. two oh, weeks' time, yeah. yes. And then two weeks' time, we have one Vince Hunt of this parish uh, talking <laughs> about uh, a slightly obscure British comic called Death Wish, but also... I persuaded him, it didn't take much persuading, I persuaded him to talk about Bernie Wrightson, of all people. Oh, yes, you said that. We talked about getting him to do that a while ago, didn't we? Well, yeah, so we'd done, at the very end of the episode, we talked briefly about Frankenstein, the illustrated Frankenstein um, that Bernie Wrightson did. And Bernie Wrightson did as a sort of side passion project while he was doing regular paying gigs to in order to support himself okay. and his family. And, um, well, Vince Hunt, as you know, is a huge fan of that. You should get him on for an episode to do a deep dive on Bernie Wrightson. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that's coming up on megacitybookclub.com in two weeks' time. Uh, Vince Hunt uh, talking about British comics but also talking about Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein. And if you've never seen Bernie Wrightson's oh, Frankenstein... Okay. Uh, it will make you weep with the beauty of the black and white artwork that he produced. I bought the I bought that hardback um, last year when lockdown started because it was on sale. I think on Amazon. It is beautiful. Yeah, and there's really a paperback nice. version coming out in a few months' time, apparently. So get on that. Oh, okay. If you, if people have not got a copy, know, Vince, we had a we had a we had our um, ACP dinner party the other night. Oh right. Um, yeah, we 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 all had a meal on Skype together, and. Um, he, uh, he actually said to me, oh, yeah, I went on that. I went on uh, Eamon's podcast. I said, oh, oh good, how'd it go, man? He went, he says, I think I talked a lot. I don't remember what I said, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> the he'll, nature of all podcasts. he'll find out in two weeks' time. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff, man. And so where can we find you online? Where can we find all your stuff? Uh, megacitybookclub.com or go to Twitter at mcbcpodcast. Uh, you'll find me there and you'll get links to all the various episodes as they come out. Good stuff, and the one about Steve Dillon was lovely, man. You and um, you and Damien did. Um, was it 
Two, it's two weeks ago now, isn't it? As we yeah, so my last yeah. episode, I was so pleased to get Damien Edwardson back on. Damien Edwardson of, of the Art92 Collective, um, you know, him, yep. him and H, both lovely human beings, great artists in their yeah, own right. Um, yeah. I'd recorded an episode with him in an extremely noisy bar at a convention, which was a bit of a mistake, not because of, you know, what we were talking about, just because it was just too noisy. Is this the one where you suggested going up to a room or something? Well... <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time I'd met Damien and H in the flesh and we recorded in the right. bar and it was too noisy and it was daft because like three floors above us I had a perfectly good hotel room but I was too embarrassed isn't it? to Difficult. say to this couple that I'd just met do you want to go up to my room? <laughs> Um, anyway, I was so glad to get well, Damien. Leave it, leave it to the third time. <laughs> well, as Damien said, you know, well, you know, you can at least buy us dinner first. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's such a northerner. He is. Anyway, so I had Damien on. I was so glad to get him back on, and we talked about the Steve Dillon memorial sketchbook that came out a few years ago after Steve Dillon's sad yeah. death, and that gave us the opportunity to talk in detail about Steve Dillon and his artwork on 2000 AD and other comics. And, of course, Damien's a huge fan, and he has some yep. uh, various bits and pieces of sketches and bits of artwork. Um, so it was a delight. Yeah, we talked about all that. We talked about Cry of the Werewolf and what a great comic yeah. that was. And you did a recreation of I Am The Law. I think you put it on your Instagram, haven't you? It's just gone up today, or the day, or yesterday, rather, that, you know, Damien's recreated that famous Judge Dredd werewolf cover where he's doing the I Am The Law, and Damien's recreated <laughs> yeah. it, and it's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, great to have Damien Edwardson back on. He's been on this podcast as well, and, you know, he's he's yeah, a... Yeah. He is yeah. a good lad. He's a thoroughly good egg. He is, I'll steal that expression from the ACP, but he is another <laughs> of life's good eggs, isn't he? He is, definitely. Good. Thanks, man. You can find more about uh, this podcast and you can find I've put, uh, there's going to, this is a busy weekend for writing reviews because I haven't written any all week. Um, so there's going to be a few going up on neverironanything.com, which is kind of the new project, work in, work in progress website so go there there's, a, there's a, a raft of links for pretty much everyone we've spoken about there and everyone's got a podcast so go and have a listen to everyone's go and have a listen to Eamon's Mega City Book Club podcast it's always it's always a favourite man Always it's always my dog walking podcast that yeah one. I know That's, yeah. Uh, you and uh, Sharknado me and Sharknado yeah, yeah the bastard that he is <laughs> good stuff <laughs> thanks man cool thanks okay. Tony